Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It is Monday, March 15th, 2021. This is a mashup with our friends at the Pitcher List, Nick Pollock and Alex Fast, joining Eno and I on this episode. We promised this when the Baseball Pods Bracket Championship was infiltrated by bots last week. <laughs> so we decided we would settle our disagreements with arguments about pitching, and that would be for the greater good. And a super pod, 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 pod. <laughs> <laughs> we'll put the echo in in post. Yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> this is why I like working with Eno. We don't have to put the echo in in post because he just does it for me. He, all the sound tricks I can't do, Eno just does them. Old-timey radio voice, yeah. echoes. I am covered. the soundboard. <laughs> yeah, his favorite movie was uh, uh, Police Academy growing up. So he really That's turned right. It back. I love that guy. I love that guy. I can't remember his name now, but I love him. <laughs> mm. Oh, man. So this will be a lot of fun. And uh, these are, are two of our best friends in the industry. And it feels like I've known Nick and Alex a lot longer than I actually have. Like, Nick, I think I met you for the first time the year that Tout Wars uh, was at the Staten Island Yankee Stadium, which was yes. only 2016, 2017. It wasn't that long ago. Uh, you were kind enough Something to throw me some BP like in the indoor cage. <laughs> that was fun. Oh, man. I saw the video of me doing that, and it's painful. Like, I was trying to hold back, and it's just all lower half, and it's the worst mechanics ever. And I'm, I was so excited. I got to throw BB to you and Tristan Cockeroff. I was like, oh, my God, this is incredible. And I'm like, I have this video forever, and now I never want to look at it. It's it's really bad mechanics. But that, that was <laughs> a, ton, is, a ton of never fun. never hold back. You, sh- you yeah, should have blown it, it by them. <laughs> I did a spore and like, you know, I should have done it to you too. And Alex, I, I think we met for the first time at first pitch in 2019. The last time there was a first pitch Arizona, I think was the last, was the last time, the first time I met you, the last time we all got on the road really, which is, it's amazing. It's been that long already. Yes. That's when we got to know each other. The first time I think I ever had the pleasure of meeting you, I it was I saw you in the corner at Foley's and you probably, the only thing you might remember from it is just a very, just like, like wet handshake because I was so <laughs> nervous. So it was just like, that's probably the only thing you remember is just like, who was that wet, wet man? And why did he shake my hand right now? But you were very kind and you were very gracious. And then yes, the first time we actually had a, a conversation with one where we got to one, know one another was at first pitch and it was it was awesome and yeah i mean we are thrilled and honored to be here and this is a dream for us this is amazing there's a solid chance that anything that happens at Foley's after 10 o'clock is impossible <laughs> to remember during a Tout Wars weekend and uh, we'll be sure to pour one out to Foley's the next time we get together it's going to mm. be uh, strange eventually going back to Tout Wars and not having Foley's as our, our gathering place yeah that it really is going to stink we're just going to have to find a new place to get Stark raving drunk, I suppose. <laughs> and have burgers named after us, yeah. you know? Yeah. It's going to be wonderful. 
Yeah, I don't, I don't know that there'll be another bar that'll do that for us. <laughs> no. Wait, you don't think there'll be a bar in New York City that'll dedicate itself to fantasy yeah, baseball? Yes, <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was kind of a crazy unicorn situation, I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think we got pretty lucky that Foley's was there for us as long as Foley's was. Uh, let's dive into it. Let's just get to talking about pitching. That's what he people are here for, and we want to deliver on that. So we kind of took a look at all of our different rankings and found players that we disagree about. Uh, I want to start with Brandon Woodruff. Eno and I both like him. I thought I liked him more than anybody in the world, in part because I'm a Brewers fan, but Eno came out and ranked him even higher than I did. Uh, Alex, I think you've got him 14th overall on your pitcher rankings, so I believe out of the four of us, you are the the low ranker on Brandon Woodruff. Uh, so I'll start with you. What are your concerns with him? Yeah, I mean, first of all, before we get into it, there is nothing as nerve-wracking as trying to, you know, when you see that you and Eno have a guy ranked high and then you see him ranked low and yours, you're like, well, I guess I'll just die. Uh, But when I actually think, (laughs) when I think about um, how I actually feel about Brandon Woodruff, while I agree that 14 might be baking in too much of his floor, which I think my rankings did overall, the one thing that had me drop him a little bit is, A, we've never seen him exceed 120 innings, right? We've already seen from the Milwaukee Brewers that they're going to cap guys at, I believe it was 100 innings from what they did in the past year, which would put him at 170, right? When it comes to the skill set, there's no argument there. I mean, obviously, he has that fantastic fastball-sinker combination that I think can be really elite for him and continue to be elite for him. But when you're this high in the rankings, I think it's really important to be a little bit more nitpicky, right? Because all these guys are going to be good for you. So as a result, when I see guys like, you know, Luis Castillo, or I see guys like even Zach Gallen, who I think is going to be on an innings limit, but is still probably going to get more innings overall than Woodruff, in my opinion, even a guy like Kershaw, a guy like Maeda, a guy like Nola, a guy like Giolito, all of those guys to me, it would not really surprise me at the end of the year if their peripherals, peripherals looked similar to Brandon Woodruff's. And they got you 20 to 30 more innings. So for me personally, that's why I ranked him a little bit higher. What about you, Nick? I mean, it's kind of funny. I think actually I have him at 15 at the moment. Uh, I am updating my rankings this week and I might be putting him at least one spot higher as I am going to lower Gallon because of the recent news about uh, they are going to limit him more so than I think we expected. And I'm starting to expect like 150, 160 from Gallon as opposed to 170, 180. And with Woodruff, we're probably going to see like 175 and change. Uh, it, this is the hardest part, of course, of this of this preseason. You all know this, of course. Like volume, like what are we actually getting from these guys? We don't really know. Um, but I do think it is a safer bet that Woodruff at this point is going to have more innings. And it is really shocking that you know when you think of Brandon Woodruff, you think of that four seamer, right? That had a 17% swing strike rate last year. His sinker is also really good. Uh, sub one, uh, sub seventy WRC plus in both of the last two seasons, 2019 and 20 for Woodruff, and also it was really nice to see his slider barely, just barely by 0.1 percent <laughs> have a higher swing strike rate than his oh. four seamer. It's like, hey, all right, I know that my fastball is not supposed to be the whip pitch. Fine, I'll make it the slider by 0.1 percent. Uh, so that's a good thing to see because we've kind of considered Woodruff as having a slider that he can get for strikes constantly. And, you know, you've pointed out before the value of that, of going getting sliders for strikes, not necessarily just mm. with whiffs. Uh, it does make me like Woodruff. I just have a hard time really pushing him past, say, like 13 or so because he really does have that hard cap, I feel, as opposed to someone like Flaherty that theoretically could go past 180. Um, I think Maeda theoretically could go past there and so on. And I don't think that Woodruff is so much better that we should be ignoring that. Yeah, I think, you know, uh, I think we're all 
trying to feel around in the dark on the innings. And for me, that means a little bit more of throwing my hands up about it. Um, when I when I tried to think about innings, I had this uh, that third column of injury uh, injury list percentile rank, um, and I kind of tried to use that um, and then youth and six man rotations. So like extreme youth, I just didn't. I just I I don't see Brand Woodruff as like an extreme youth. Like I don't see him as a guy that they have to protect anymore. I think he's kind of more mm-hmm. among the the the, the mid career studs, you know. Uh, Gallon, I guess we're finding out, is a little bit closer to uh, you know kid kid gloves um, and being you know being careful with his innings. Um, so I guess I just took a slightly different approach. I didn't see much injury risk uh, with Woodruff. Uh, I didn't see a risk of going six man because they barely can get five together in Milwaukee. <laughs> and uh, yeah, um, and I think that's practical. I think that's also a practical concern. Is like if you are going to limit the innings. How are you going to do it? Is it going to be a lot of Drew Rasmussen starts, or um, and if that is the case, and it's really close in the division, maybe you say uh, maybe Brewdorf can do 175 this year, you know? And I also think the over under on 200 innings is one, 1.5. Like we may have one person who has more than 200 innings, so I think 180 is the new 200. And if to me, Woodruff is like 170, 175. So yeah, innings maybe. That's I, I ended up picking Bueller over him and, and knocking Woodruff down to five um, in my next in my next update. And I suppose, but I just I wouldn't take Castillo over Woodruff as a pitcher. So I don't know if I really want the five innings. So I don't know. I, I hear your I hear your concerns. It makes sense now. It's not about his quality as a pitcher. It's more about the innings. I, I, is what I'm hearing. Right. Well. I'm curious what you guys think about workload concerns in general. I mean, Nick, do you think the league as a whole is going to be as careful as our industry is suggesting to this point in draft season? Or do you think it's actually going to look more like a normal year than people think? I would I would say the latter uh, if I had to choose the two because somebody needs to be throwing these innings and a lot of these teams are going to be competitive where they're not going to be comfortable just throwing like a bullpen game or some saying. random yeah, guy from Rasmus AAA. Idea. Although I like Drew Rasmus. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's how we always feel. It's always like guys like, oh, wait, but he, there is something good about him. Something so let's not ignore that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Right. There's a reason why all of these guys are major leaguers and it's really fun to, to focus right. in on that. But but yeah, I, I, I get this idea that, um, you know, I, I I've heard some people being really low on Walker Bueller because they don't think that he's going to get, you know, anywhere above 150 or so or 140. And in my view, it's just, well, let's hold off a little on this because I mean, look, before last year, really. We never even said that a six-man rotation would last. They never last, right? We start the season in a six-man, and by like the second week, something happens, and now it's a five-man, right? Mm-hmm. And we're going to see those situations again this year. They're going to try really hard as an organization to keep the six-man. Seattle, going to keep it, right? I imagine the Dodgers are going to try something uh, the Angels probably going to keep it. But outside of that, I mean, teams are going to try it and likely fail and someone of quality needs to get it. Like if Justin Dunn doesn't take a step forward and Chris, I mean, Chris Flexen is a bit of a wild card. So like if either, if both of those guys are in their sort of 20th percentile outcomes, then I don't know. Then you have to call up Gilbert and Kirby and then you maybe don't want to do that yet. They will though, right? Yeah, I didn't. Um, I think Mathers was saying like he would 
call up Gilbert by the start of May or so. I mean, look, they started Marco Vicious like all last year. So they're okay with. with yeah, that, that's what I'm getting at. They're, right. They're like, it's fine. We're just going to do that. And they signed Paxton, which then, I mean, we don't know how much we're going to get out of him. But still, they, I think they're going to push it as much as they can. I keep over waiting there. for the Royals to announce they'll do it, but I don't, I don't know if there are. I love, I kind of love their rotation. I think they're good. Yeah, it would make sense for the Royals to do it. I mean, I, I'm I'm curious to see when Daniel Lynch actually becomes a part of that equation. Ah! For them. They're obviously going to want to keep, you know, they're going to want to relax with Chris Bubich. They're going to want to relax with Brady Singer. And then that leaves you kind of Mike Miner and Danny Duffy as the guys. They're like, oh, your arm fell off. Well, we can just glue it. <laughs> Brad uh, Keller. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, Brad Keller. And then also, I mean, I, I do think for what it's worth, you know, we talk about, you know, you brought up Drew Rasmussen. I still, you know. I see Jake Junis with the cutter and I get a little intrigued. <laughs> I get a little intrigued because I think he's another guy that's going to be on the fringes right there as a six man who kind of comes in more frequently than we realize because he's going to be spelling some of these other starters to try and, you know, keep their innings. And I think the other thing that's important to remember, too, is like the, we don't have expanded playoffs this year. Right. So there's not going to be as many teams halfway through the season trying to think, oh, well, actually, maybe we might be able to have a little bit of a run at this. So you see guys who, you know, they're going to be teams like the Pirates, like the Tigers that are just going to be completely out of it. And I think we're going to see, you know, as a result, those six man rotations stick a little bit more, especially mm. the Tigers. Yeah, but there is this there is this funny thing that we're talking about around that is really interesting. Competitiveness versus uh the future like then and now right like yeah. and, and if you look at it the best the best pitchers for the most part are on good teams right yep it's almost like good pitching makes teams good right exactly <laughs> exactly so yeah like dean kramer will have his innings limited this year why don't you just relax you know we're not, we're not 20 minutes into this thing and you got to take shots it's ridiculous. <laughs> but you should be excited, Fast. It's Keegan Aiken is pretty cool, honestly. And then John Means is showcasing his higher velocity in spring training still. You know, yeah. there's some good things to talk about with the Orioles. And, for, you know, we'll see how that Michael Franco signing goes. <laughs> I'm rooting for you, man. Maybe it's not a 0% playoff chance after all. You, when, you hear, when you hear front office execs talk about limiting innings or, or, or innings plans, like Julian Merriweather, I heard, is on a 100-inning plan, right? And what that means to me is something – and Alex Reyes, supposedly on a 100-inning plan. I think they think of these things in in – uh, more block terms than like we think of they 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 think of things really finely and they oh this guy can get 162 this year or whatever it's I think they're more like this guy's a hundred inning guy this guy's a hundred fifty inning guy this guy's a two hundred inning guy right and so that's that's kind of how I like kind of group people even though I don't think it's necessarily two hundred I think it's one eighty you know and I think there's right. a 180 grouping. I think there's like sort of a 160 grouping. And then there's a bunch of like 100 and 120s. So that's why um, I have Bueller 4. All right. Well, here's what I've got for you guys for our next fight. Uh, I think we <laughs> as a group disagree about Jose Barrios. I think both Eno and I think he's more like a top 20 sort of guy. I think both you and Fast have him down in that 30 to 35 range. Innings are key here, but I think it's more than that for me. It's not just the safety of expecting close to a max workload. It's not just trusting Minnesota as an organization that can get as much as it possibly can out of its pitching. It's looking at Barrios, seeing the increase in velocity in the shortened season, up more than a tick on both the fastballs. It's a true four-pitch mix, and I think Eno's described it this way before. It's kind of a Hinjin Ryu sort of approach where it's not just like, 
50 to 60% fastball usage and then 15% on each of the other pitches. It's actually like well balanced. So I think I'm looking at all these factors, mushing them all together and saying, you know what? This is going to be the year for Jose Barrios. Even if if the Ks are still lighter than we would like them to be, I think because of the volume, he can offset some of the skills deficiencies if what we've seen in the past is what we're going to get here in 2021. This is kind of nice because Fast and I, we disagreed before. We, we actually went mm. toe-to-toe during the Fantasy Pros thing, uh, and you had to defend Jose Barrios. So I want you to go first here. I want to I see you now go against Barrios and be on the same team with me. No, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna pull a pivot and, and I'm actually I'm I'm with you I'm with them on Barrios here I'm I'm with our two dads on on Barrios here I I uh, I, dare I think you. he made a, I'm sorry I think he made a legitimate change last year I mean I I think I've talked about this with with Nick a bunch before he moved further to the third base side than ever before and I think the impact that it had on his curveball and what the shape of his curveball looked like is beneficial for him um, and I think last year you know what we saw in a kind of smaller sample size with his four seamer isn't something that's going to stick. It had a 463 WOBA. That was his highest since his rookie year. Had a 209 WRC plus compared to a career 123 WRC plus. The BABIP was over 400. So I think if we see the swing strike rate maintain uh, on that curveball, and not if we're, uh, some people might go look at the swing strike rate in the curveball, and they might see overall, and it's not that impressive, but actually when you look at when he made that change, when he actually moved all the way to the third baseline, which he maintained, by the way, in his spring training start, so I have good reason to believe he's going to keep doing it for this upcoming season. I think when you look at the swing strike right there, which was really good for him, it just allows him to uh, uh, get back to where he was with that fastball. I mean, I think he's still kind of trying to figure out what he's doing with the fastball. He was kind of putting it at the bottom or the heart of the zone last year, which leads me to believe that he didn't command it really well. The spin on it is pretty poor, but the efficiency is really, really good, and then I I think there's one thing that we don't necessarily talk about enough and you know you could take it or leave it Wes Johnson is a very good pitching coach like he is he has worked wonders with a lot of guys before and I still don't think that it's out of the question that Barrios can take that next step so I think when you add all those things to the fact that he's likely going to be a guy who's getting a bulk of those innings at the end of the year in a weaker division I'm with you I I still have him as a top 30 dude all right okay fast okay fine fine (laughs) Make me do all the work. It's okay. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. All right. I mean, the, the story of Brios doesn't really change. Uh, yes, I'm excited by the increased velocity over full tick, uh, which is really good. But then you wonder, well, he did that, but then had a 1.3 whip and uh, an ERA of four. And it's kind of confusing. And you're talking about changing to, you know, his, um, where he's on the rubber close to the third base. So that would suggest to me, oh, He's improving as the season goes on. Then you realize as final four games, none of them eclipsed an overall swing strike rate of 11%. Well, beforehand, he had 18%, 14%, 13%, etc. And this is the story of Barrios, is that he just goes in and out. It's really about his curveball. Sometimes his curveball is the filthiest thing ever. And he does this for a month, and his curveball is performing well. He's high CSW rates, everything. And then it goes away for a month, and then it's just a heartache especially as a fantasy manager like anyone that has rostered Barrios for a full season knows this this is the story of Barrios he has a month-long streak where he feels in rhythm with his curveball and then he gets out of it that that's just what he does and we've been having this conversation for like four years about Barrios I remember in first pitch Arizona I sat on the panel with you know for sleeper in the bust and they were all like oh Barrios amazing number 20 and stuff I'm like guys he's like 30 or so because he's always going to do this and I just, I, I don't know. It's just the same deja vu to me. I uh, like he's 
I have yet to see a full year where Barrios actually puts it together consistently. The the woes of that curveball just are gone. And I'm okay with the result at the end. I'm not saying that he won't help your fantasy team. I think he will. But I don't believe he can make that jump to be a definitive top 20 starter like all of the guys ahead of him that I have in the 20s. They all have that ceiling that is, oh, yeah, I'm Zach Wheeler and my fastball is really good. But, oh, I'm so close with that slider. And just to the previous two years, I also had a 23 to 25 percent strikeout rate. But now I just showed the ERA uh, ceiling and I have got that whip next. You know, he has that ceiling of being that guy. Barrios is just we're waiting still and I don't want to pay for that. So I'm sorry. He's not in my top 30. Uh, yeah, I, w- <laughs> I take one issue is that, uh, definitively in the top 20 for a guy, we have 19. <laughs> I, mean, like, I don't mm. think he's definitively in okay, the top yeah, 20. That's fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like the difference between actually the difference between, uh, 20 and 30, I think is not that far. I mean, I think there is a grouping mm. there of other players, uh, that have, that have upside and have, have, have some deficiencies. I think that the, the last time I feel really certain about a pitcher is maybe 15 with gallon. And even there we were talking about innings. So, uh, for me, various sure. is buying floor. Um, it is funny how he gets there. Uh, but he, before last year had been a metronome, um, he has, uh, great command numbers and usually, so I expect that walk rate to, to come back to earth. Um, I expect him to throw a lot of innings. Uh, he showed really nicely in the, uh, innings, uh, the injury list percentile that we had sort of 27th percentile for injury risk, not a lot of, uh, arm troubles. He doesn't sit down for arm troubles and, and things like that. So, um, yeah, I think he. I'd be buying floor with him. Like if I um, if I went cheap on pitching and my ace was um, somebody I was like excited about but wasn't sure about innings. Who's that? Um, uh, Scherzer maybe or Kershaw? Glassnell. Glassnell. Mm-hmm. If you paired Barrios with him as a second, I feel like that would be a good that'd be a good pairing. But there, if you mm-hmm. if you had a different pitcher in the first one, then you could pick someone from around twenty that had a different profile. Like Glassnell's right there. Like Glassnell and Barrios, uh, you know, they're flawed guys. I think you're asking for either of them to do something they haven't quite done before. Right. Um, and so, but they could also really glue together with with a different first uh, first and second pick. So. Um, I I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. I think it's mean to call him a Toby, though. I think he's better than the Toby. <laughs> I didn't. I, I never. Uh, okay. Somebody. I think came, he is too. Toby. Tobys don't have a 25 percent strikeout rate, yeah, so somebody, I'm not calling him a Toby. Somebody came on a on a Twitter thread and said Toby, and I was like, "What's a Toby?" <laughs> <laughs> and you know what is a Toby? Now that you know, feeling like a dad. Um, it's Toby from the office. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He gets the work done, but you don't really like that. He's there. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. man. Yeah. Uh, I, I love that as a description for, for most pitchers. I don't feel like Jose Barrios <laughs> has earned the Toby label just yet. If he let's be down again this no. year. Maybe, maybe he enters the Toby conversation in 2022. <laughs> uh, one guy that I think most of us like, but Nick, you're lower on him than most from what I can tell. Julio Urias. Mm. I've got him 25th. I mean, I think once you get into that 25 to 30 range, things open up a ton. You could argue guys in the 40 to 50 range against a lot of those pitchers, and I think you can make compelling arguments on both sides. What are your biggest concerns with Urias? I mean, innings, I think, is the main thing people worry about, but even though he made 10 starts during the regular season last year, we didn't see a great strikeout rate 
from Julio Urias. So is there a skills concern in addition to the injuries that are lurking kind of in the background? It's kind of a like an amalgamation, just a lot of things that just make me go, ah, you know, um, uh, I was one of the things that made me so happy this time last year. And I was like, unbelievably touched that DVR, you mentioned hipster uh, on the podcast, uh, which is headache inducing starting pitchers that stifled the entire roster. Um, and it's this idea that you don't want to draft guys that in season are driving you nuts that like, I don't know if they're going to be starting. I don't know how long they're going to go for. And when you're drafting a top 40 guy, starter, pitching, starting pitcher, you want to know, hey, every single week, I'm going to put him on my lineup. It's going to be great. And if he's hurt, then fine. He's hurt, then okay. Then he's on my IL spot, but he's not taking up a roster spot on my team where I'm making the, you know, having all this indecision. I would say Herman Marquez would be another one of those. Like, am I starting him this week? He's in cores, but it's against the Diamondbacks. Like, what do I do? Right. And Urias, to me, especially with Dodgeritis, which is essentially like we don't know the, uh, say for like Bueller, Kershaw, and Bauer, we really do not know how they're going to use even David Price, who said, hey, I'll sit some out for the other guys. David, no, you're supposed to start. We need you to start like all the time. That's what we want you to do. The young guys will get their chance. So Urias is part of that curve for me. I mean, he closed the World Series like they're showcasing that they're willing to use him in different opportunities already. And then, yeah, there is a little bit on the skill side. I mean, all of his pitches, uh, change-up, slider, curveball, really aren't, or weren't the major whiff pitch last year. Change-up took a step back. Slider certainly took a step back, about 12% swing strike rate or so. And I'm a little concerned that uh, he doesn't have that big breaker that really puts guys away. It's nice seeing fastball change-up. You generally don't see... Uh, you know that kind of high upside guy with just fastball changeup. Typically, there is a is a breaker involved there too. I uh, I guess I'll say this: if Julio Urias was getting the same treatment as all the other studs we're talking about as far as workload, and we expect him to go every five days or six days or whatever, then I would have Urias probably around twenty five or thirty. So I I think it's the skill set is good enough. Um, I will mention that he's not a finished product in my head yet. And the other guys that are, and I have to bake in a little bit more risks as well, just for the fact that he hasn't been that complete pitcher quite yet uh, for a long, long season. So all that in mind, it was just like, you know what, I'll just deal with other things that I feel like I'll have an easier um, understanding of where they're at in the first couple weeks of the year. And Urias gets pushed back towards about 49 or 50. I mean, I'm gonna push back on the on the skills. Uh, the innings, Please. I don't, I don't know, but um, yeah, I think he's, I think the changeup is his best pitch or his or his best mm-hmm. secondary. Uh, but I, I think you wrote in your write up something about the breaking balls not being what you expected or wanted from him. And I don't know for his career. And this is, you know, uh, the samples now are on the 800 level uh, by pitch type. Uh, he has below a 100 ISO on the change and the slider. Um, and the four seam has a 116, which is amazing for a four seam. Yeah. So yeah. that's three really legit pitches. I don't know about the curve, um, but I think as a show me, uh, it's fine. And uh, that gives him four pitches to go to. It's a really nice mix. It's, the command is there. I tend to think like if you have three really good pitches and a fourth, and then and you have really good command, you're going to be good. So. I think he's going to be good. I, you can also make an argument that if you uh, include the minor, the, the the postseason numbers last year, his strikeout rate looks better. I know that he was in the pen, so it's uh, you know it's it's hard to it's not necessarily apples to apples. But 
Um, I think that you know, I think his strikeout rate was just a small sample thing. I think he's sure. he's going to go back to the strikeout rates he had before, um, and he's proven effectiveness. The innings thing does give me heartburn, um, and that that honestly is why I didn't push him harder. <laughs> it's it's, it's hard like i mean i mean about the slider is really the biggest question for me um you know we haven't really seen that be a definitive like real big offering yes it had a 46 percent strikeout rate in 2019 and a 15 percent swing strike rate but an o swing of only 31 percent zone rate of just under 30 percent on it and i i i wanted to see like oh really amazing changeup. Like I love Arias's changeup. And when you, you know, the fastball is fantastic. And that pairing is really, really nice. I wanted to see that one extra offering that made me think, okay, there you go. That's now three pitches. That's all you need done. I love the curveball as a show me, get me some strikes. Definitely. But that slider hasn't quite turned into that third, like amazing offering. Yeah, the, the whip right and on that it, to me is holding me back. I'm surprised to see it was uh, average last year, 14.1. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty much right on average. The only thing that I want to add about that, I mean, I think there's some interesting things that kind of uh, fit into the narrative, uh, Nick, that you have about that breaking ball and that he does seem to be messing with it a little bit. I, th- I think hmm. the breaking ball actually jumped up four ticks in velocity last year in the regular season. And then also, if you go to his, uh, I believe it's his Brooks page, there's something really wonky happening with his slider in the last months of the season where there's a bunch of things changing. And I, I, I couldn't tell if it was just a sample size where, oh. okay, maybe the Hawkeye data was a little bit funky or if this was a legitimate change that he was actually trying to it work looks, on. Do you see yeah, it? Yeah, it you looks know? like the breaking balls converged. Yeah, exactly. Oh. So it looks like he was trying to mess. I mean, this was something that I was taking oh. a look at with Michael Ahedo, and we couldn't really get definitively to the bottom of, okay, there really wasn't a lot thrown here. So maybe it was a misread. Maybe it was a calibration. But it issue, kind but of worked. Is, I mean, he got a 16% yeah. whiff rate on the slider, on the on that yeah, new slider. Exactly. So maybe he's only so a three-pitch pitcher, and he's, and he's already turfed the curve. Yeah, that's huh. that's sort of what I'm thinking of. But if the, if if he does figure out, you know, whatever he was kind trying to mess with, if only he had a guy in that rotation <laughs> who had a good slider he could talk to. You know what I mean? Oh man! If only there was someone there. Oh god! Uh, yeah. So I, I'm intrigued, and uh, and it's something to keep track of moving forward. But yeah, I mean, I know it's such a cop out, but like. I, I just I, I'm so risk averse like I, I, I can't even walk out the door without having a panic attack so I can't own Julio Arias <laughs> yeah I mean it's good to see that he's changing it I mean that that makes me happy yeah. like addressing the fact that okay I'm doing something to hopefully get this better no it is you know it's interesting and I think this could be a segue uh, because I'm feeling attacked enough as is let's just keep the attacks going <laughs> I, I know if I only I know you guys love me and I love you guys so it's all good but I am feeling attacked. <laughs> oh no. I hate that. Absolutely no, not. Are you fine. kidding it's me? Fine. Oh my god. No, let's let's really jump into it. Jose Urquidy. Um no, so the with Urquidy and this is this is interesting cuz uh Urias and Urquidy um change up first, right? So when I looked I looked at the relationship between um and it's it's like almost like a really dumb thing to do, um, but um, I looked at the relationship between a pitch type whiff rate and the overall whiff rate. If that makes sense, mm-hmm. I just yeah. correlated individual pitch type whiff rates to overall whiff rates, and the the um, the uh, worst correlation was changeups. So mm-hmm. the kind of the, uh, the the thought process I had after that was changeups are sometimes used for 
um, uh, for soft contact. Uh, Change-ups may rely on the fastball more. And so therefore, in an 0-2 count, a change-up, when it is being anticipated, may not have the same effect, uh, sort of whiff effect, may not lead to strikeouts as often. Um, and so you'll find guys that, that are change-up first that are better than their projections and better than their FIP. And I think there's some soft contact effect there, but they also don't have great strikeout rates. Um, you know, and that reminds me of Jeremy Hellickson. That's all I can think oh, of when yeah, I think of like... Oh, yeah, the guy I thought of was a bad fastball to change up. But, hmm. um, yeah, okay. But, uh, you know, another uh, modern guys. <laughs> modern <laughs> no, guys I thought, are like Lizardo, Urquidy, uh, Urias. Sure. John Means, and when his, in his All Star year, he wasn't getting whiffs on the fastball. He was yeah. just getting weak contact on that changeup all the time. But uh, you know, you say that we're riding you too. Like you're like you looked up all this stuff. I'm like one time I I Googled baseball savant <laughs> and I found so you know you have the real data no, here. No, I would really no, 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 no. no you like we discovered I discovered on air that Urias turfed his curveball. I love it. <laughs> do you guys share Ito's love for Jose Urquidy, which I think is a, a shared love on our pod? Like I believe in him because I, I saw what he did upon arrival in 2019. I think that's more in line with the strikeout rate. We're going to get 24%. I think he can be a sub-4 ERA guy with a good whip. Maybe the strikeout rate doesn't have another level above that, but I do think despite the changeup being his best offering, because he's got four pitches in the arsenal, I think, and good command, that gives him a lot of margin for error. Clearly, there's a huge need for him in the Houston rotation, too. The price is creeping up. So, A, do you guys like him? We can start with you, Alex. And B, are you willing to pay the rising price on him? Because it seems like some other people really like him, too. ADP since March 1st is now inside the top 200, right around pick 185 overall. Yeah, you know, I fully admit that I could just be a guy who, like, when it comes to Framber Valdez, Jose Arquiti, Christian Javier, I could just be a guy who doesn't quite see it. And, like, listen, that, that organization is better at outputting pitchers than, than you know, you one would ever believe, right? When you have that kind of pitching coach, then they're going to output good stuff. But for me, when it comes to Arquiti, we can start with the fact that he hasn't thrown more than 150 innings pitched over the course of a season ever. So I would really be surprised to, to see him come close to that, considering he put up under 30 in 2020, just under 30. Uh, it's funny because 14th in whiff rate in that time, 24th in exit velocity, 6% in, in K rate and 22nd in expected ERA. Um, I, I worry a little bit about that fastball. It has potential and we've seen some really nice swinging strike on the pitch. Um, it's not great. It's like, I think it's still sub eight, uh, but it's, it's not bad. I think the problem is sometimes he can, he can leave it at the top of the zone and guys just can absolutely punish it. And and when you're doing that in a stadium like Minute Maid, where, you know, it's like one of the best offensive, you know, fields in, in all of baseball, that that scares me a lot. 51% hard hit rate uh, just doesn't really sound all that exciting to me when it comes to that four-seamer. Um, so, yeah, I, I think sometimes the command can be a little bit of an issue, too. So while I understand, while people take him, he's just never been the guy that, that I'm kind of obsessed with. How about you, Nick? I mean... I, I think I'm going to be raising him. Uh, I have him at, I think, 57 right now. I, I probably will put him inside my top 50. I I loved, I you know, I loved seeing you so high in Arcadi. I thought that was really cool. Um, because, I mean, 2020, Arcadi had COVID and never got into any sort of rhythm. And he had, like, 30 innings or so. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. That was just such a lost season. Uh, his curveball and slider were both easy double-digit uh, swing strike rate pitches in 2019. Actually, I think hinting at 20. And they were both sub-10% this past year. I mean, I don't believe this for a second. I think it's such a small sample we've seen of Arcady in 2020. And it's, it was very small in 2019 as well. But we got a better representation of who he is. And he's someone with four quality pitches. Um, even if you want to say like his fastball isn't quite as good as others, fine. Then three really good secondary pitches that have different uh, movement profiles. And that's really cool. Uh, I mean, you know, I think you were talking about it, like his movement profiles oh like being so drastically different. But if you could, if you could, if you could, if you could, if you could like just write down in pitch FX, the perfect pitcher, it would like the only <laughs> thing I would change is the velo number on the four scene. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's, it's funny. Like when you look at the other like Houston guys, you know, Christian Javier, I don't think has nearly the same polish as, uh, Arquiti. he's got command issues. Yeah. And, and also stamina too, with, with Javier, which is kind of crazy. Right. Like he starts the game at 93, then goes down to 91. And Arcidi, I think is much more, you know, I, I keep finding myself saying finished product a lot, He's thick, but yeah, but I mean more <laughs> of just like his actual ability. <laughs> But yes, sure. That he's he's not Tristan McKenzie out there, out there you know. Uh, no, I, but yeah, think, Arcady, I think he's got some innings in those yeah. thighs. Is all I'm saying. Right, and Dusty Baker will use them. You yeah. know. Well, but that's so. Then over under one forty for each of you, for all three of you on on uh, Jose slightly above. I'm going over. Slightly above. Yeah. DVR. Over. How, where, where do you have like one fifty plus? But yeah, and yeah. I think at that range, you're not really expecting much more than one fifty from pitchers you're drafting near the back of the top 200 because right, yeah. a lot of guys are just getting called up or they're going through it for the first time. I mean, even I like Tristan McKenzie a lot. I think they're going to have to be a little bit careful with him just because he had that lat injury that cost him a good chunk of 2019. Yeah, the years are all sticking together now. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm at like 150 plus on Urquidy. I don't think they have to baby him, but I think he'd be in the group of pitchers that when you get to the all-star break, when you get to a certain spot in the schedule where you got maybe an extra off day, maybe they manipulate the schedule to keep him from getting up into that 180, 190 range because they don't want him to go too far over his previous max. I will say he's never thrown over 150 in his career, even with the minor leagues. He's got to do it at some point, and they need people to do it. Uh, I mean, Lance McCullers, we hope, can do over 152. Um, and I mean, specifically 152, not 153. <laughs> But I, uh, it's, uh, we, I mean, there are other questions around that rotation, especially with uh, not only Framber, but also Forrest out. Uh, and I feel like Dusty's going to let him go. The other question I have is he gets the, uh, the athletics twice to start the year. Like, I think I'm okay starting Urquidy for both, but you got to think, I mean, if you are in a fantasy league and you wouldn't, then I would pass on Urquidy. You know, if you're gonna if you're gonna draft a guy gonna and then not start him in his first two I, I starts, would, I would have no yeah, I would have no hesitation. I would, yeah, I would I would start I would him too. But I mean, circle that date. I think he'll I think yeah. he'll strike out a bunch of A's. Well, then I love it. There you go, Urquidy. I'm in. <laughs> yeah, it's not quite Alec Mills' early season <laughs> schedule. Brewers and Pirates, baby, let's go, Mills. <laughs> Alec Mills, 20 strikeouts in his first two starts. <laughs> Seems like it's already written at this point. Yes! 100% happiness guarantees? Huh? I'm thinking about that right now. Mm-hmm. we got to put that on somebody. we got to put that on... Hmm, can we put that on? Aaron Savali? Yes! Does anybody want to put that on Ooh, yes. Aaron Savali? A 100% happiness guarantee? Who wants to make 100%. that claim right now? Nick, I think you want to go first. 
Uh, okay. I mean, this is this is fast boy. I'm not going to take any of this away from him. I can't do that. <laughs> no, but Go please ahead, start. Alex. So uh, get, get no, you're smarter than me. Um, absolutely not. Okay, I'm, I'm going to give quick, quick new arm circles. Exciting. Four seamers uh, getting better. Actually, he's going to be start incorporating that this year. Really nice cutter that he throws for strikes. Curveball that gets whiffs. I think it's all here with Savali and the fact that you have Terry Francona, you know, chewing on his toothpick instead of taking him out of the game. Uh, that's that's great for me. Uh, that's great for fantasy managers going six innings Indians a starter so for Savali. In, man. They had like, yeah, they really do. Oh, yeah. Over the last three it's, years, it's they had unreal. Like, the second most innings from their starters. Yep. Mm. So I, I think Savali as a whole is, and if you take away like the last start of the year, he's a sub four ERA. If you want to even look at that small sample of 2020. I think he's made some changes fast. Can probably tell you more about those changes, but I think the best of Savali is yet to come. Yeah, definitely. I agree. I mean, there's a few things that come to mind. I mean, you know, one, I mean, uh, you know, I, I've heard you bring it up plenty. The Indians are the best at game prep in, in, in the league, probably, right? And, and that's a great place to start. But when it comes to, and that, that's definitely a bonus, but when it comes to Safali overall, I think we're just looking at a foundation that's so there, and he has so many weapons that are going to allow him to take the next step. You know, I, I'm a coward, but the one thing that I did that was kind of bold was put him over Zach Plezak in my overall rankings, because I really do believe at the end of the year, it wouldn't surprise me if he finished higher. His sinker, if we start with that, it's a CSW machine, and he really is just fantastic with it. He had a 30% CSW on his curveball, his changeup, and his sinker with a near 30% CSW on that cutter. The fact that he's going to be able to attack the zone like that with so many different pitches just means that, like we said, he has that really high floor that he can build upon. All he has to do, well, he actually, there's a few things that he can do, right? He seems to have shown a reticence to be able to throw that curveball in two strike counts, uh, and I think he wouldn't really have any problems if he just went back to back curveball on one strike and two strike counts. He could have a lot of success there. The other big thing is he has this new splitter. This new splitter could absolutely be huge for him, right? So when you take the fact that he has the whiff getting pitch in the curveball, and he's got this new changeup splitter combination that has shown to be effective in these new spring training starts, it shows that he can command the zone with it. I just think the sky is really the limit for him, right? I mean, we're talking about a dude, it's kind of like a dream scenario. You already have his ability to command the zone. This isn't a guy that we're really going to have to worry about command uh, over the course of a season, right? So if either that curveball or that splitter or the cutter, or the four seam, which he may be increasing this year, shows the ability to be that action pitch for him. The sky's really the limit for him. And one thing I really want to add there is uh, I remember freaking out when he was against the White Sox and throwing cutters instead of fastballs. Like his first like 40 pitches, he threw one sinker. And the ability to be able to use that cutter effectively inside the zone and then save the sinker for what I think should be, in general, obviously it's a very broad stroke of the brush, but I love sinkers when they're thrown like 10 to 15% of the time as a surprise pitch, changing it. You know, you can come inside to a lefty and surprise in the inside corner or maybe get a ground ball all of a sudden. And Savali is able to save that two-seamer and now actually have a good-looking four-seamer too that gets a lot of ride. Uh, that whole combination, I think, can really work out in 2021 for Savali. Yeah, I mean, I just, you said the sky's limit. For me, uh, I'm a little bit worried that the bat fastball is bad. Um, the mm. primary fastball is bad. I think, and I, and I, I've fallen, I've fallen in love with so many people with bad fastballs that I just feel burned sometimes. Who's that guy? Uh, Whitley. Chase, Chase Whitley. Chase Whitley, man. Chase. Oh, his secondaries were so good. His fastball was so bad. Um, and so I, I see the sinker and like a three percent whiff rate. Um, I see for lifetime a one fifty one ISO on the sinker, four nineteen slugging. 
Um, I, like I saw that same that same sequence with the cutter and was like, oh, well, now I have to re rebalance what I think of him because maybe the cutter is his fastball. And so I like right. how you talk about action versus command pitches and stuff. And 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 so I think that some, for some people the cutter is an action pitch, and for some people the cutter is like a is a is like a command pitch. And um, if they're if they're both for him, that's fine. Um, I but if I have to recalibrate, if the cutter is going to be his foundational fastball, and maybe it is, and then the sinker becomes more of a kind of a situational pitch that he gets called strikes with when they're not swinging. Um, and so he gets some swinging with the cutter. Um, uh, he gets some swinging and missing with the curve and, but you know, I don't know that the change is such a big deal, uh, that, that, that he would add a change of this good. He had a 15% whiff rate on the change of last year. So, um, mm-hmm. I mean, if he's adding a splitter, is he going to have two changeups or is it going to replace that old changeup? Hmm. Uh, which seemed like it was decent anyway. Um, yeah. So it all comes back to the fastball for me. If that, He's a sinker first guy um, where I don't love the sinker. So, yeah, totally. If fair. not, it doesn't have good I'm, movement, I'm curious. even for sinkers. Right. You know, I mean, yeah. The fact that he pulled it back last year um, and it's already That's changed his arm circle into focus on a four rankings, seamer. But he started sure. at a low place because I was like, here's a bad fastball guy. But, yeah. you know, well, Corey we, we bonded is over a bad this. fastball guy. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. Carrasco, it's, I mean, it's what Cleveland does. Pleasak doesn't have a great one either. Yeah. Um, but I remember actually bonding with you uh, about this in, in First Pitch Arizona, where we weren't in on Savali at that point. That was like uh, October 2019. But yeah, the fact that Savali pulled away from that sinker to focus on the cutter and from what we've seen so far this year, and we were talking to him that he's focusing on four seamers now with that shorter arm circle and feeling better in that timing. I think that is a step in the right direction. And from what we saw last year, I mean, I'm pretty much cutting out that that horrible like eight earned run start at the end. Uh, that was still a serviceable pitcher. Like he was very helpful for most of the year, and I think now we're going to get a step forward from that. So that's why I'm, I'm in favor here. His last thing, real quick, is his first five starts: two point nine one ERA with a two point seven two FIP and a three point six two Sierra. And then I, I think the way that he started to utilize that cutter, which was more up in the zone, where it almost kind of looked like a mistake, but that seemed to be the way that he wanted to utilize it. That leads me to believe that it isn't necessarily going to be that action pitch for pitch. him. It hmm. seems like it's able to, yeah, it's a command pitch yeah. for him, which is which is really exciting for me to see. And it's also like almost an, an easy out pitch for him. He can kind of use that paired with the sinker. So, but I think overall, like when we're having this conversation about a guy who has all these weapons that he can lean into and he's kind of this scrappy dude who's gonna fight you know what i mean he doesn't have one pitch that he's just you know he's not a mccullers where he's like all right i'm just gonna go getting out with this right, pitch right yeah. now i i'm a sucker i'm a sucker for those dudes those like kind of scrappy fighters you're, you're, like you're describing spencer turnbull to me man like hmm. like i see a bunch of pitches i see command maybe he doesn't he's not in the right place for it you know That's... but his park at least helps him a little bit um, and his division's not bad. So, you know, uh, but I see a lot of pitches. I see command. I see a lot of pitches and I see the opportunity to, to maybe tweak one of those and go further. So uh, th- I have them ranked similarly and I see them as guys who the floor is actually okay. The floor is good and there is ceiling. So they're good, but they, but they haven't established anything like you know to get into the 40s for me you you have to have established something and i'm not sure that i've seen enough from either of those two guys that to say like they've established a certain baseline one thing i i really like about this argument though is that you guys are are bringing more than my simple 
I believe in Cleveland's ability to develop pitching. Therefore, I will round up on Aaron Savale. Like you're seeing that's things a, that that's reasonable, but you're seeing the proof of it already. Yes, but like Adam you're spotting Plutko that does exist. <laughs> well, Josh I mean, Tomlin yeah. does exist. I'm not saying those are actually they probably were good outcomes for their stuff. But I'm just saying good outcomes could still mean meh fantasy. You know, right? I wonder if that actually describes Sandy Alcantara. And uh, Nick, I think you're the highest of all of us on him. I don't think anyone on this pod would be in a position to say, I don't believe in Sandy Alcantara. I think we're all reasonably close. But Nick, I think you had him the highest at 33 on your rankings. Totally Mm. possible I'm crossing up one set of rankings with another at this point. I've got a million tabs open, but hey, we're trying to <laughs> trying to walk and chew gum and podcast at the same time. So You're killing it. I'm, I have him a 33. You got yeah. it right on. Boom. Mm. 33. But, so you're the high man on Sandy Alcantara. The big problem for many people is that we haven't seen the strikeouts yet. When you watch him pitch, the stuff's good. Like it, sure. it sure seems like there are some more strikeouts to come there. So what is it that gives you confidence that Sandy Alcantara could take that leap this year? Oh man. Okay. So I want to, I want to establish a couple of things. One, I mean, I think I was saying this pretty much earlier and I would just want to reinforce it. Innings are a huge part of my rankings of, and I think that Sandy Alcantara is someone that the Marlins are going to say, okay, we need you to be the rock while we develop Sixto Sanchez and, and Eliezer Hernandez. And they're probably going to be looking at Pablo Lopez a bit for this as well. But I think Alcantara, the guy who went 197 innings in 2019, is going to be that foundation for that rotation, which means that he gets a boost inherently if he has ratios that I trust. And for Alcantara, I do. I think he has such a good sinker. It's, it's one of the rare sinkers I actually like. Because he does such a good job of keeping an arm side and then falling off of the plate. And it's at 96-97. I mean, this is one of the better sinkers you'll see out there. And you pair that with a slider and changeup that I have I haven't really seen both of them be dominant at the same time. But in every start, one of them is working. And that's all he really needs to do. Just get one of those going. He had a 23% strikeout rate last year. I think he can have a 25% over the course of season as he continues to develop each of those pitches. Uh, and when you add it all up, I mean, the way that I go about my rankings as well on top of the 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 innings is like in a 12-teamer, and that's what these ranks are essentially, 12-teamer head-to-head in Roto, really. You're trying to find four guys that you trust that you're not going to drop, that these are the four guys you're starting every single time out. And then the, the other four, you are likely going to be dropping during the year. Like in a, in a 12 team, you have 23 rounds. Look back at previous drafts and you're going to realize, huh, after the 14th round, like I only kept like 25% of those guys. And you have to put yourself in a position where, you know, I said it before with the hipster and stuff. I want to make the decision in April if I'm going to be going after, say, like on the waiver wire was Lucas Giolito and Lance Lynn and Mike Soroka and Brandon Woodruff and Zach Allen. That's all from 2019, all on the waiver wire during the during that season. So Alcantara to me is part of that crew. But right. I get Alcantara. I'm holding on to him for the rest of the year. So I push him up into the 30s. I feel more secure with him than some of the guys in the 40s. So that's why I have him a little bit higher up. But I think the, the initial foundation of the fastball and the idea that his, his slider and shade can also continue to grow is why I'm this confident in him. Can you believe they told him to throw the force anymore? Like, what? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's such a it's like the exception with the sinker. It's just that good of one that no, yeah. normally I would say throw the force anymore, but I just love that pitch. It's so good. Yeah, but they watch him all the time. Like, <laughs> <laughs> 
This should have been really obvious really quickly. Yeah, I yeah, I, I agree with most of that. Um I just see I see uh more sh- I see sure things ahead of him too in terms of, I guess maybe not in terms of innings, not all of them. I'm not, I'm looking at Tyler Molly now with your words in my ear and I'm like, yeah, he should be ahead of Tyler Molly. I really like Tyler Molly. I like the fact that the slider was all of a sudden going down last yeah, year was, and four seamer command is amazing. Yeah. But yeah, he hasn't gone like a lot of innings before. And I don't know how much Cincinnati is going to let him go this year. I hope it's like 180. Also, if, any, if any of those home run issues show up again in that ballpark, sure. it's going to be terrifying. Yeah. I, I like Molly as well, but that, that scares me. Let's talk about someone I know that Alex likes, uh, Josh Lindblom, buried in my rankings yeah. right now, ticking up a little bit because I think he's pretty safely in that rotation <laughs> To begin the season, but what is it that gives you confidence that Lindblom can do better things in year two in Milwaukee? I mean, the whip wasn't bad last year. It was just the ERA that was the problem. The ERA was up over five, uh, temporarily moved to the bullpen, moved back in. We saw plenty of strikeouts, so uh, how does he consolidate everything and, and turn in a, a good year for us, kind of in the back of the top 100 among pitchers? Yeah, I mean, I just think there's a lot, like, there's... I think last year was a big transition year for him, right? I mean, not only necessarily because of the pandemic, because coming over from the KBO and really having to adjust to what is a different style of, of baseball in the MLB. I think what gets me excited about him is like, <laughs> he's just like a a, 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 a grande you Darvish when it comes to how many pitches he has. You know what I mean? Like you have to like scroll down a page to see how many different grips that he has. And that's actually really exciting to me because if something isn't working when he's warming up, there are other things that he can rely on. There's definitely plenty of floor when it comes to Josh Lindblom. I've I've been burned before by one Matthew Boyd, and I understand that floor is a real thing. But when it comes to Josh Lindblom, what gets me excited about some of the changes that he made in this offseason is he said, hey, I'm going to prioritize spin efficiency on my four-seamer, right? And if there's one thing that I've learned talking with pitchers this past year is that they get very excited in the offseason, and when spring training comes around, they definitely fall in love with the narratives that they're trying to push, and that's great. They should. They need that confidence. Lindblom backed it up with actual results. I've watched every spring training start that he's had so far, and the spin efficiency that increased on that four-seamer has allowed him to locate more on top of the zone with that four-seamer, which has made that curveball that he has really, really nice. When he pairs those pitches, which he's gone back-to-back with a few times now, it increases how many swings and misses he's, or it has the ability to increase how many swings and misses he's going to get on that curveball. Eno can correct me if I'm wrong, but when it comes to movement profile on a bunch of his pitches, there's some really dirty stuff there. I mean, between the splitter that he has, between that curveball that we already talked about, he's got the ability to do it. I think they're, you know, if I'm, you know, taking a step back, like, the fastball still scares me. This isn't a guy who's going to be able to rely on velocity, right? It's never going to be a guy who's going to be able to rear back and do it. I think there were, you know, some issues where he couldn't throw certain pitches like that slider for strikes, and I think that would really benefit him to be able to have that command. But I think at the end of the day, at the back, back end of a draft where he is going right now, he's ultimately a guy that you can get for free. He's going to give you that nice K upside. He's also going to give you probably a good amount of innings, right? This isn't one of those guys that I think they're really going to to rest, right? I think along with it really would not surprise me if at the end of the year, Josh Lindblom had more innings than Brandon Woodruff. It just wouldn't surprise me. It just seems like Woodruff's a guy who's going into his second year of arbitration, right? I think they're going to be a little more precious with him than they are with Josh Lindblom. So yeah, I think that's some real nice sneaky upside to get to the back end of a draft. No, I, I don't want to uh, step on fast at all. Uh, I will note that Lindblom didn't go six innings once last year. Um and it was essentially like five or four innings in those starts. So I hope that he can have the IPS that uh, the innings per start that Woodruff has. That's the one concern I do have with him. 
that comes with a command, I think. If the command, mm-hmm. if he can find the command, which it looks like he's been able to do, I think we'll see that bump up a little bit more. I thought you were about to say something about IPAs. Yeah. Um... <laughs> never, never. No, I don't like hops. Get out of here. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, a couple things come to mind when I look at his profile. Yeah, he's, he had a below average command plus, so um, I am worried about that to some extent. But uh, he didn't have like a reliever level command plus. And that's that's actually how I think of command plus a lot is in shelves. Hmm. Shelves. Hmm. Uh, because if you have a below 90, then you're kind of, maybe you're Josh James. And we were all super excited about how great Josh James's stuff had was, but he had a below 90 command plus. And it, when you get below 90, it's all relievers. It's all relievers and Denilson Lamette and Tyler Glass now and a, like 95% relievers. So he's above that. So I think I think the command, yeah, it could it could fluctuate a little bit. It could be good. Um, I, when I look at his pitches, sometimes I think of that, that old adage: um, if you have three quarterbacks, you have no quarterbacks. Um, <laughs> I'm just wondering what the out pitch is like, and the slider does get good whiffs, um, and that and the four seam were the ones that that stood out whiff right whiff rate wise, right? Um, because the four seam has a good ride, has really good ride. So if he's going to add more ride to it, then I think he has two legit pitches. But all the rest of the pitches underperform what what I kind of expect. You know, like less than ten percent whiff rate on the changeup, ten percent whiff rate on the curve, ten percent whiff rate on the cutter. It is exciting that he has so many, and there could be there could be a, a little tweak that could go a really long uh, distance for him. I think. I definitely am hoping that the increased uh, efficiency on that four-seamer is going to benefit all of those pitches. You know right. what I mean? That, that's definitely the hope. And at the end of the day, that's a hope. You know what I mean? That's that's the gamble that I'm taking. I will say, too, when you look at that walk rate in the past, even you know a couple years ago, it was like barely above five ever in the KBO. And, and that's a different league, of course. And I'm not saying, well, of course, it's going to be great when it comes to the MLB. But it's also a league where those guys are going to wait you out and they've got good eyes and they could also make contact with everything. So to me, that speaks more to a reticence to pitch to the way that he was going to pitch in the MLB. Uh, I, I would be surprised if that continued this year. But once again, these are all the asterisks that that fantasy owners are going to have to make it's their a, own decisions. It's a about. really good play on one of the most basic and powerful stats there is, which is strikeouts minus walks. I mean, that, mm. that like 27 and 8, like that's really good. So, yeah, mm. I, I think that alone uh, had me pushing him up. I've got him now um, at sort of about 110. Um, and I think he's uh, he's super interesting. Um there also, you know, you just mentioned it, and uh, I found evidence of a gaijin strike zone in Japan uh, that 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 foreigners got a different strike zone, and um, hmm. and I actually think that to some extent that helps pitchers that go there uh, to to come back with with better command. Wow! Yeah, they just have so to wait, be so they have to be really finer. So are they okay? So is it tighter for a foreigner? Interesting. Yeah, they, they, yeah. I think they. Yeah, and and I'm not trying to point fingers at Japan and be like, ooh, ooh. like we have the no, same no, no, problem. No. I don't know if you guys have looked into yeah. uh, what umpire biases are, but like, there's a lot of them. There's a oh, bias. Uh, there's a racial bias in, in umpiring. There's a uh, there's a star veteran bias. One. Yeah, veteran bias. Yeah. yeah. So so uh, these are human beings i'm not i'm not trying to point fingers but i'm saying that like no. we've seen a fair amount of players go over there like merrill kelly came back with improved command 
Um, Michaelis. Yeah, Michaelis maybe? came back with improved command. Yeah. I think that's why I did the research was for Michaelis. So probably Colby Lewis too. Yeah, even Colby before Lewis. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's see how Flexen does. <laughs> yeah, good point. And Flexen is buried in my rankings. I mean, he is Flexen. free. He's going to be a week one Fab pickup <laughs> at the uh, the current rate. We'll see if anything changes between now and opening day. All right, let's get to some ADP toss-ups. We call it "Would You Rather" when Would we usually do this. Would you rather? See, I told you guys, I don't have to ever do sound effects. Stuff. It's, it's, an, it's the best editing job in the world. Never having to put a drop in. He just does them on cue. It's incredible. Uh, so we'll look at March ADPs in the NFBC. Throw out some pitchers with similar prices and get a feel for where we as a group stand on these particular pitchers. We'll stay outside the top twenty at this point since. There's more fun to be had, I think, once you get past that group. Let's go to the back part of the top 30. Max Freed versus Hin Jin Ryu. And I will start with you, Nick. Who do you prefer between Freed and Ryu? I'd probably take Ryu because he's safer. I I do recognize there's a high, higher ceiling likely with Freed just because the Blue Jays got Ryu knowing, hey, we want you for 150 innings in 2020. Like They expected him to get hurt and they wanted to take care of him. And I feel that that will probably, you know, carry over into 2021 to some degree. Uh, while Freed is probably loose to go, you know, um, I, I I haven't quite seen the the fastball and, and curveball command I want. Slider is good, but it's still a little, you know, I need a little bit more development time with Freed. Um, I think like 2022 Freed is going to be better than Ryu, but I think Ryu is a little bit safer at this moment. How about you, Alex? You know, I, I agree. I actually think it, it is Ryu, but for a contrarian point of view for Freed, I'll, I'll say Freed just for fun uh, because I'm a little bit worried about Ryu uh, in Dunedin, and I'm a little bit worried about when it comes up to Buffalo, a little bit worried about that uh, both of those parks. Um, not that he's all of a sudden going to extremely regress, but when I think you take those concerns, you add in the injury concerns, uh, those kind of pile up to me to give, uh, in this contrarian view, uh, Freed the advantage. He doesn't mean it, guys. He doesn't mean it. <laughs> no, but... I mean, I, think, I, I can know? see it. Like, I, 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 this is one of those rare veterans where I don't think innings is is a positive part of his 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 package. You know what I mean? Like, you're not you're not like gonna pick Ryu for innings. <laughs> uh, right. I don't think, especially not in this comparison. I, 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 like, if you like just innings, who? Freed, right? Freed, Freed, yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. Because of the, I mean, it, multiple arm close. injuries from Ryu in the past. I mean, that's. Yeah. Pretty scary. It's just his I used to, his <laughs> groin ripped clean off the bone. You love like that one. Like you always go for that that's, one. That's insane. It's like a piece of chicken. Like it's insane to me. Why? Why would yeah. you? Okay. I don't know. It's I mean, he, you know, he he got hurt blinking to get the catcher sign once. You know, um, that's what I that's why I joke with Ryu. Uh, I will. I mean, look, they got him with 150 and entering 2019, right? Uh, or entering 2020. They probably will push it a little bit more, but I mean, it is kind of close. But I still give it to Freed. Yeah. Yeah, well, I share, I share, I share the concerns about the command. I had Freed just a couple ahead of Ryu, and I'm, I'll take him. And I had Ryu in an injury tier. Uh, Ryu, Glasnow, and Carrasco were all eighty plus percent, eightieth mm. uh, percentile or higher in injury in my injury list. Carlos Carrasco has shown that uh, I've got to push him down some more. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so I, I, I would take Freed. 
I think I'm the dummy that wants Ryu because I don't trust the control for Max Fried. I think that's still a possible trouble spot. I think the whip could be a little bit bumpy. You're going to get Ks. Yep. You're going to get wins. I'm not worried about the innings, but slight preference for me with Ryu because I think the ratios come out a bit better. will be interesting to see what happens with the Jays in their home park, though. You know, If they ever get back to Toronto, that seemingly would be better than ending up in Buffalo for the second half or most of the second half of the season. How about this one? Just outside the top 100 overall, Chris Paddock, who everybody loved this time last year, versus Ian Anderson. We'll go around the other direction. We'll start with you first on this one, Eno. Uh, it's kind of interesting when you look at it through the lens of stuff and command. Uh, I've got Ian Anderson at 109 stuff and 93 command, and I've got Chris Paddock at 96 stuff and 113 command. Um, and I think it tells a picture uh, of, you know, Anderson... I don't know. I don't think that people have looked at his minor league numbers very hard <laughs> uh, because there is definitely some risk with Ian Anderson. I, and yes, it might have something to do with the low spin curveball. I don't know. Um, might have something to do with the changeup outperforming its movement profile too. But it is more his walk rates and home run rates in the minor leagues. Like he has a command issue. And if there is some wobble in there and, and he's going to go out, then, you know, it could look bad for a little bit. Maybe he gets it back and then by the end of the year, he's fine. But um, I have I have it after I said all that. I have Ian Anderson higher. I'd take Ian Anderson. Um, what I want to know is what the rise is on Paddock's fastball right now. Yes. Oh, no idea. Why don't we have track ramp for every spring train stadium? Because we can't have nice things. <laughs> no, it's a. Eh. Uh, I'll tell you off air. You're a real boys club stuff. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> no, I, I. You know, none of the none of this electronic stuff is is actually that that easy when you start talking about how many friggin' parks there are. I mean, if you're talking about the 30 parks, yeah, we we got that. We put it in, and they did a good job. But then you start talking about minor leagues and spring training facilities, and you know, it's not surprising that not all of them have it. But I would like it. You know, can we get camera angles too yeah, that yeah, are not, yeah. you know, Amen. acting like the shortstop? That would that would be wonderful. You know, Pittsburgh's figured this out. I love those ones on where there's minor like, league. Where the pitcher is over here and the hitter's over here, and you're just like, it's the worst. Is this it's, how people it, perceive baseball? <laughs> that's it's the, the bases worst. loaded like, too from all, NES but baseball camera shot. Like. <laughs> it drives me that's crazy. I don't know why they use that camera view in that game, but. I mean, it was 1990, so what else were they supposed to do? <laughs> Which game had an angle like that? Bases Loaded 2 had that oh, angle. Man. Yeah. It was terrible. Mm. The game was fun, but the view was terrible. Uh, where do you stand on Anderson versus Paddock, Alex? Anderson is, is just super like unique. I, I, I really spent a lot of time diving into him because he's really fascinating to me. He's got this really unique profile. Curveball has like this 12-6 shape to it but it doesn't get the movement of a 12-6 curveball um the changeup is i think what he calls like a three finger changeup that doesn't get anywhere near the movement that you would expect that kind of changeup to get with that sort of efficiency uh the fastball changeup release points are just i like identical the extension is elite especially on that curveball uh and those kind of north south mechanics don't personally have me as concerned then when it comes to the command um, I, I think with him, I, I'm maybe a little bit more worried about what the Braves are going to do with him in terms of innings this year. Um, when it comes to Paddock, I, I really think that last year, the, some of the difficulty that he had with that four-seamer was because of the curveball 
that he was working on, right? I think it just really changed. Uh, I was having a great conversation with Michael Heddle about this, about what that did with his hand and what that did with his wrist. And what I think it caused it to get a little bit more ride, uh, If uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Nick, on, on that fastball there, uh, which isn't necessarily what you want to see from Chris Paddock. So I love to see him when he was like, you know, oh, I was I was in the bathroom and I found this book by Bill James. You guys got to read this. I, I love that that was what, essentially what his offseason was. Um, so I think overall for me, I, I buy back on the Chris Paddock bounce back. But with that said, uh, I, I think even if he gets that fastball back, I still need to see he's kind of where he was last year. Where I still need to see him take a step forward with the breaking pitch. So I, I think I'm going to choose Anderson here as well. Wow. Hmm. I'm, it's Paddock for me. I uh, and the funniest thing is I was going to give praise to Ian Anderson. I I love his mechanics. I love the fact that he's so north south that he rocks back and forth. And generally, what you see, I uh, with guys, especially like ones that have some walk issues at first, which Ian Anderson does. I mean, I, th- I think that's more of a case of like approach, and he's not giving in when it comes to mm. changeups and he's relying on guys chasing and stuff. But it's not erratic. It's not like I uh, you know he has that high walk rate, but it's not because he's throwing cross body. It's not like he's, uh, you know, he doesn't know where the strike zone is, mm. you know, and I think over time that he will develop uh, a much better walk rate than what you're seeing right now, which is like 10%. I think in the postseason it was like 13% for Ian Anderson, something like that. That will get better. And I actually think his minor league numbers too kind of aren't a great walk rate either. Mm-hmm. That back and forth, you see that and you should be thinking, oh, it's a lot easier to adjust um, on your delivery of getting the ball where you want it to. So I think over time I'm in on Ian Anderson. But I think, I don't know, I think we're kind of looking at Chris Paddock's 2020 and thinking, aha, we were all so wrong. This is, you know, we jumped too soon on 140 innings from Paddock when his fastball was elite then. It was really, really amazing. He messed up with the spin axis. I think you're totally right fast about the, the him trying to work on the shape of the curveball. Hedo's really smart and like I love him and him thinking that kind of stuff. You listen um, when Michael Hedo talks about that stuff. So I, I, I do like the fact, as you mentioned too, that Paddock, all of a sudden hated analytics and now he's like oh wait something about my spin access that can actually fix me i'm listening now great i mean i'm not gonna like say anything about that i'm just happy he embraces it last year like i was shouting about it all year like where's the ride on this fastball (laughs) can someone tell paddock he has like a dad who's super involved too like i and 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 follows on twitter and name searches i I just figured the dad would have found me yelling about his ride well like you know you have success for ages you never care about that stuff it's just me and you know i I totally understand that mentality Uh and i think you need to have a full year of that and time to think that he can actually say okay maybe they have an answer for me you know he developed to some extent in an organization that i think at the time he was there it was probably the worst uh organization for player development in baseball oh interesting uh fascinating so i I like to imagine but i think they were when he was there Bat- Paddock has to be fixing this in some way. I mean, it, it, it is, uh, as you mentioned, command was there. I, I wonder if the stuff metrics are just for 2020 or is it just for 2019? Yeah, yeah. It's just for 2020. So I actually think that stuff so, number could change. I mean, you could, yeah, because he used right. to have ride. And if he gets the ride, that'll change the stuff numbers. So yeah, and that command is still there. So a, for me, I'm leading Paddock command, here. Yeah. I'm on Paddock, too. The command's really good. Yes! I mean, look what he accomplished. <laughs> Come like, on by, DMVR! Let's go! Look what he accomplished with flaws in 2019. I think we're we're blowing yes. up Anderson's limited sample in 2020 and probably rounding up too much just as we're rounding down on Paddock. So for me, it's mm. Paddock by not a, a lot, but by a healthy enough margin where I'm well, not, I just changed Paddock I'm not taking ranking, the full minute so. to make that pick. 
There we go. Good yeah, job, no, guys. The, you make a great point. Paddock was good. It wasn't terrible in 2020. Like it is still a 120 and change whip, and he had some strikeouts. Like it wasn't, you know, Patrick Corbin's 2020, where that was really like, oh no, what's going on? Paddock was still actually somewhat serviceable, and we think he should be much better. So that's a great point. You didn't have Corbin low enough, dude. Just, well, t- just saying. See, <laughs> I, I knew, I knew you guys want to talk about Corbin. I know. Somehow, somehow, I knew. So one last toss up oh, before he's we in go. There. All right, last oh, one. Sixto yeah. Sanchez versus Patrick Corbin, which is totally oh, just a young on the rise versus old and so possibly easy. declining. That's sixty. I just, yeah, I don't even okay. have to think twice. Or you, I, I would leap out of my chair and mash the button so hard for Sixto Sanchez. Like I could, you couldn't stop me. You couldn't have. You couldn't be in between me and my computer. Would, that, okay. That's actually a great notion. Like the one way to draft isn't who clicks the button first, but how many times the person <laughs> clicks, the, clicks you, the button. You gotta get a mechanical keyboard. Those red switches, right. the actuation point. All right, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really quickly on Sixto versus Corbin. Okay, very quick. I don't think the Marlins are going to push six though a ton. Um, I think his sinker isn't that great, and he should be throwing more four seamers. And his sinker is much easier to hit. I think Z contact was like ninety four percent last year on the sinker. Well, four seamer was under eighty percent, like seventy four something crazy like that. I'm sorry, I I can't hear you over the ninety eight. <laughs> yeah, there it is. Mm. Well, it was still hittable, but he's throwing right. If he just throws a four seamer at ninety eight, then like I'm I'm much more in. I don't think he actually has really good slider command. Changeups good. But sliders, the good ones I saw were mistakes that actually landed at the ankles of lefties. And he wasn't actually trying to do that. On the other side, Corbin, yeah, he had a bad 2020. I get it. His velocity was low at the beginning. He wasn't able to get it inside to lefty, or sorry, to righties like he used to. Uh, he got better as it went on with that velocity. So far this spring, his velocity is already up a full tick from last year. Uh, this was someone who we considered top 15 in two, entering 2019 and 20. I mean, 2018 and 2019 were like 200 innings of dominance from Patrick Corbin. His slider fell back on, on what's whiff rate last year, about 10 points because of the fastball. He needs a fastball to make the slider work. And but he's lost I'm willing to kind of throw it away. I don't think he had. I think 2020 lost his fastball. It's 2021 now. Hmm. Well, he also, I mean, he also lost his fastball in 2019 and then came back and said, yeah, and I he lost adjusted. my fastball. And then he got it again. And then he, and he was great. He went yeah. off on and this. Yeah, this absolutely disgusting stretch. He's also got a new cutter that he's working on in spring Ooh. training that, you know, I, I, I'm trying to do my best to temper all expectations about every time I hear a new pitch. So like Aaron Nola, but also he could has really a use cutter. a new pitch. That's, <laughs> yes. Yeah. He yeah, needs he Well, could. he needs a strike getting pitch. He needs a something, yeah. something else to, to throw. Like that gets had, uh, Adovino has like actually a similar ish repertoire, right? Just from the right. And Adovino mm. needed sure. that cutter yeah. to, to kind of just land in between the other two pitches. Kind of zero zero, but I, I, there's this one piece of of data that is interesting that actually makes the case for both of these guys in a weird way. Um, on the fastball, from like zero from ninety to, to ninety four, there's actually um, not that much difference between each mile per hour. So uh, if you look at home run rates and whiff rates on fastballs just by velocity, between 90 and 94, they're fairly stagnant. There's a little bit of a gain for each of them. From 94 plus, it goes out the roof. And uh, it, and it just peaks, peaks, it goes up, 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 up. So 6 though, I would expect to, to whiff more people just based on the velo alone um, because he sits above 94. So he's like... Oh, yeah. Uh, dude... The lefty hasn't sniffed 94 in 
a few years. <laughs> so if he's living in the 90 to 94 range, as long as he's not throwing 88s and 89s up there, then theoretically there shouldn't be that much of a difference between Patrick Corbin at 92 versus 91 and a half versus whatever. So it, it's just about limiting the 88s and 89s. So if he can, if he can, you know, sit 91, he might, he might be fine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's go ahead. Nick. I mean, I'm hoping for it. I, I it's a mix of like, I, I look, I'll say this. I am going to push down Corbin when I put it out on Wednesday, <laughs> I still will be above six. Down. Really? Um, yeah. Oh, six man. though. I mean, look, I, it's, it's the innings. Uh, and the fact that, I mean, look, he didn't go out and strike everyone out last year. Yeah, that's true. You know, and he had one game of ten strikeouts, and then not another one above six. And I mean, I think he's, he's also not, a change he's up. not a finished he's like a product up sinker to me, guy, right? So yeah, it, it and I don't like his. I really don't like his sinker. Package. Look, we've seen it from like Dustin May. You know, just because you throw hard doesn't mean necessarily that it's good, especially if it's a sinker. I'll I mean, it'll, hard, it'll yes, limit the homers, but sure. I uh, but it's probably pretty well, hard. We don't to want that, that from six though. I don't. I don't want a twenty-one percent, twenty-two percent strikeout rate from six though. I want him to like push twenty-five to thirty, mm-hmm. you know. And if I, that's what I'm getting from six though, then like uh, this, it's just just not quite done yet. So I think he's got more I'm secondaries go with Corbin. than May. So I, I think he's, he'll get yeah. Well, yeah, I'm with you there. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Here's, I mean, I had such a sick burn planned when Eno was like, "I can't hear you over the 98." I was like, "Well, why don't you turn up that 20 percent K rate?" It's totally, it's totally, it's totally past now. No, you're, you're being kind now. It's past that point. I think there's a bunch of other secondary. I, I'm actually with, I'm, I'm with Nick on this. I think there's some other secondary factors too. And also to harken back to another argument that was made earlier. You know, a guy can't be that. You, you know, you said a guy can't be in the top forty unless you've seen that he's done that before. But it's kind of that that argument with Sanchez too, where I really want to see him do it over a prolonged period of time. Um, and then other smaller secondary factors. A little bit more sure of Patrick Corbin getting wins than I am Sixto Sanchez. A uh, little more sure of Patrick Corbin getting those innings pitched than I am Sixto Sanchez. It scares me a little bit when you're already saying, "Hey, why did the Marlins tell Sandy Alcantara to get away from that sinker and go to that four seamer instead?" That scares me a little bit more as well. So I think at the end of the day, I, I buy more at a Patrick Corbin bounce back than I do a Sixto Sanchez um, repeating. Um, I, I I think it is definitely close, and I think you know I can do the cop out that it comes down to team construction uh, that if you know you've got a few guys who are going to throw a lot of innings you know you've loaded up on your Lance Lins or whatever and you want that kind of fun upside that's a, a fun play but if you've done the opposite and you I, I think it's actually okay to go with Patrick Corbin I think he's going to be okay this year I'm six to over Corbin but I have to move Corbin up I had him 46th among starters that's too low yeah, you guys probably be inside that top 40 up. Yes, <laughs> but yes! I, I do think Fast probably has kind of the sweet spot. Like if you already have a, a young group of starters with some ceiling already, and you need that stability, more Corbin more probably innings. makes more sense. Yeah, like, innings might be the priority there. If you're chasing wins a little bit, I mean, Nats versus Marlins win probabilities on Corbin should be a lot higher because they're not going to baby him. If Sixto's getting babied, he's leaving games earlier, and he's on a weaker team with a worse bullpen. Somehow, I think the Marlins actually have a worse bullpen than the Nats, so that could be a problem as well. I'm looking at this. I'm going to have Sixto and Corbin like two picks apart, probably. It's 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 super close. Sorry, just wanted to add that in there because yeah, I'm moving up Sixto from 39 likely to like 36, 35. Oh, I'm going the opposite. I'm ta- I'm tanking Sixto now just to be a <laughs> <in the park. laughs> 
I still, I still have, I still have some air between them, but um, I moved six toes down a little bit because of you guys, uh, and and Corbin up, uh, and now I've got them ten apart, twelve apart. Still, it's still okay. a mash okay. the button for me. <laughs> Give me that. Well, the player. good news is we're all still friends after all of this. Okay, we're still, we're still laughing, still having a good time. I could do this for everybody... three hours, man. Oh, I know, right? This is the best. It'd be the longest edit ever, but it'd be the most fun. So, I mean, there's pros and cons, but mostly pros, I I think, in this case. Uh, Nick, before we go, let everybody know where they can follow you on Twitter and what they can expect from both the Pitcherless Pod and actually from the site here in these next few weeks. Oh, man. I wrote out my content schedule on this whiteboard. It's like 10 articles over the next three weeks. Uh, so definitely check that out. Updating the the pitcher ranks. My entire thing is like called the Ultimate Draft Guide for 2021 comes out next week, which is really fun. But yeah, follow me at PitcherList. Um, bother me all the time. Please do. And yeah, check out Nick Pollock and Friends. Eno was on there. And uh, hopefully, uh, Derek, I can get you on there as well at some point. Uh, but uh, yeah, lots of fun stuff. And give Alex a follow wherever that is. I don't know where it is. Fast. <laughs> I guess that's my segue. I like that. Uh, uh, yeah. So you can follow me on Twitter at Alex Fast Eight. And I, I would definitely be remiss to say a quick. You know, I, I'm very glad that I bought those bots so we could come on here and uh, <laughs> have this conversation with you. But but in, in all to be to be 100 percent earnest, you guys rightfully won that uh, that yes. tournament, and it's because. You guys are the best in the biz, and yep. we, we look up to both of you so much, and I, I can't tell you just how giddy Nick and I were to be able to have this opportunity to do this with you guys. You guys, we, 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 we really think of the world of you. We look up to you so much, so this has been such a blast for us, uh, so thanks so much for having us. It's been you great. You guys would have deserved to win, too. Like, you won you won last year. <laughs> yeah, That's only because champs. somehow, I was only because somehow Sleeper beat you. No, no, absolutely not, man. You, you guys are really like you're the, the torch bearers for the rest of us, you know. But, and uh, this was this was unbelievable. Really, we cannot thank you enough for this. Well, we appreciate you guys joining us and uh, for sharing the crown with us in the baseball pods bracket. And we'll see what happens next year if the bots just destroy it in the first <laughs> round or if we actually make it all the way through. But we it was a lot of fun nice being things. a part of it. No, 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 we we really can't. But follow him on Twitter at AlexFast8, at PitcherList. Eno, of course, is at Eno Saris. I'm at Derek Van Riper. You can drop us an email, ratesandbarrels at theathletic.com. And of course, we appreciate it if you take a moment to leave us a nice rating and review. And I would be a fool if I didn't mention that with March Madness starting this week, starting Tuesday, March 16th, we have Daily Ding, the Ding You, presented by at MGM. Check that out on YouTube, 1 p.m. Eastern if you want to watch it live or listen to the Daily Ding podcast. Get everything you need to be caught up for March Madness. It's the best time of year because we got opening day in a few weeks, but we also have some college basketball to help bridge the gap through the final weeks of spring training. For Alex Fast and Nick Pollock and Eno Saris, I'm Derek Van Riper. That is going to wrap things up for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We are back with you on Wednesday. Thanks for listening.